The idea is the reason why the world is so disorderly is because you've got all, you now with the Cold War gone, you've got all these uh, ethnic groups killing each other and so on. Well, as usual, it's always a good idea to start by asking about the facts. Whenever you hear anything said very confidently, the first thing that should come to mind is, wait a minute, is that true? My city is still breathing, but barely it's true. Through buildings gone missing like teeth. The sidewalks are watching me think about you. Sparkled with broken glass. I'm back with scars to show. Back with the streets I know. Will never take me anywhere but here. I just uh, got back from Brazil where they don't have any fire codes. And if you think this is uncomfortable, uh, you should see a meeting there. People packed so tight that uh, it was a good question whether, they'd, whether the oxygen level would suffice. Fortunately, there wasn't a fire. There would have been a huge catastrophe. Uh, well, the uh, title, you noticed, had a question mark after it. And the reason for the question mark is that uh, whatever has been happening for the uh, past several months and is going on now, and however you evaluate it, like it, hate it, whatever, uh, it's pretty clear that it cannot be a war on terror. And that's, in fact, that's close to a logical necessity, uh, at least if we accept certain uh, pretty elementary assumptions, certain principles. Uh, so let me try to make those clear at the outset. Uh, the first principle guideline, if you like, is that we ought to, uh, uh, I will try and I think we should bend over backwards to give the benefit of the doubt to the United States government uh, on every, whenever it's possible. So if there's any dispute about how to interpret something, we'll assume they're right. Uh, the second guideline is that we should take rather seriously uh, the, uh, very seriously, the pronouncements of uh, leadership, especially when they're made with great sincerity and uh, emotion. So for example, when George Bush tells us that uh, he's the most devout Christian since the apostles, uh, <laughs> we should believe him, take him at his word, and we should therefore conclude that he certainly has memorized uh, over and over again in his Bible reading uh, classes and in church. Uh, the famous definition of hypocrite that's given in the Gospels. Uh, namely, the hypocrite is the person who uh, applies to others a standards that he refuses to apply to himself. Uh, so if you're not a hypocrite, 
uh, you assume that if something is right for us, it's right for them. And if it's wrong when they do it, it's wrong when we do it. That's really elementary. Uh, and I assume the president would agree uh, and uh, all of his uh, admirers as well. Uh, so those are the principles I'd like to start with. Well, just side comment, I mean, unless we can rise to that minimal level of moral integrity, uh, we should at least uh, stop talking about things like human rights and uh, you know, right and wrong and good and evil and uh, all such uh, highfalutin things because all of our talk uh, should, should be dismissed, uh, in fact dismissed with complete repugnance unless we can at least rise to that minimal level. I think that's obvious and I'd hope there'd be agreement on that too. Well, with that much in place, just that much for background, let me formulate a thesis. Uh, the thesis is that we are all total hypocrites uh, on any issue relating to uh, uh, terrorism. Now, let me clarify the notion we. Uh, I mean, to, to, uh, by we, I mean people like us, people who are have enough, a degree, high degree of privilege of uh, training, resources, uh, uh, access to information, uh, for whom it's pretty easy to uh, find out the truth about things uh, if we want to, if we decide that that's our vocation. Uh, and in the case in question, you really don't have to dig very deep. It's all right on the surface. So I mean, when I say we, I mean that category. Uh, and I definitely mean to include myself in we, uh, because I've never uh, uh, proposed that uh, our leaders be subjected to the kinds of punishment that I've recommended for uh, uh, enemies. So that's hypocrisy. Uh, in fact, if there, are, if there are people who escape it, I really don't know them. I haven't come across them. It's a very powerful culture. It's hard to escape its grasp. So that's thesis number one. We're all total hypocrites. Uh, on the matter of, uh, in the sense of the Gospels, on, in, on the matter of uh, terrorism. Uh, the second thesis is stronger, uh, namely that the first thesis is so obvious uh, that it takes real effort to miss it. Uh, and in fact, they should go home right now because it is obvious. <laughs> Nevertheless, let me continue and say why I think both theses are correct. Uh, <clears throat> well, to begin with, uh, what is terrorism? Got to say something about that. Uh, that's supposed to be a really tough question. You know, academic seminars and graduate philosophy programs and so on, very vexing, complex question. However, in accordance with the guidelines that I mentioned, I think there's a simple answer. Namely, we just take the official US definition of terrorism, uh, since we're accepting the pronouncements of uh, our leaders uh, uh, literally. So let's take their definition. In fact, that's what I've always done when I've been writing about terrorism for the last 20 years or so. Just accept the official definition. So, for example, a simple, simple and important case is in a U.S. Army manual in 1984, uh, which defines terrorism as the calculated use of violence or the threat of violence to attain goals that are political, religious, or ideological in nature. Well, that seems simple. Appropriate. Uh, particularly good choice because of the timing, uh, 1984. Uh, 1984, you'll recall, was the 
time when the uh, Reagan administration was waging a, a war against terrorism, particularly uh, what they called state-supported international terrorism, uh, a plague uh, spread by depraved opponents of civilization itself in a return to barbarism in the modern age. Uh, happened to be quoting George Schultz, who was the administration moderate. Keep another guideline is we'll keep to the moderates, not the extremists. Uh, so that's 1984. Uh, Reagan had come into office a couple years earlier. Uh, his administration had immediately declared that the war against terrorism uh, would be the focus of U.S. foreign policy, and they identified two regions. Uh, as the source of this plague by depraved opponents of civilization itself, uh, Central America and the Middle East. And there was quite wide agreement on that. So in 1985, for example, the uh, uh, every year uh, Associated Press has a poll of editors on the most important story of the year. And in 1985, uh, the winner was uh, uh, Middle East terrorism. So they agreed. Uh, uh, right. Uh, towards the uh, end of that year, 1985, uh, Shimon Peres, Israeli prime minister, came to Washington and Reagan and Peres uh, uh, denounced the evil scourge of terrorism, referring to the Middle East. Uh, scholarship and uh, uh, experts also agreed. There's a huge literature for the last 20 years on terrorism, particularly state-supported <coughs> international terrorism. Uh, the um, I don't have time to review it, but a good illustration, which I'll keep to, is uh, the December issue, December 2001 issue of Current History, journal Current History, uh, good serious journal. Uh, it's called America at War. It includes leading historians, uh, specialists, and experts on terrorism. Uh, and they identify the 1980s. Uh, as the era of state-supported, state-sponsored terror, agreeing with the Reagan administration. And I, I agree with that, too. I think it was the era of state-sponsored international terrorism. Uh, one leading author, uh, Martha Kremshaw, says that in that era, the United States adopted a proactive stance to deter the plague. Uh, mostly it's about middle, the Middle East, but Central America is occasionally mentioned. Uh, for example, U.S. support one, uh, two authors, co-authors uh, from the Brookings Institution, uh, described the U.S. war against uh, the U.S. Contra war uh, against Nicaragua as a model uh, for how to fight a war against terrorism. Uh, they say that uh, that was a model for uh, U.S. support for the Northern Alliance in the current phase of the war against terrorism. Uh, the uh, Seeds of contemporary terrorism, however, are <coughs> much deeper. The major historian in the group points out, uh, David Rapport, a leading academic specialist on terrorism, editor of the Journal of Terrorism, and so on, uh, he points out that it goes back to the, the origins of modern terrorism, like Osama bin Laden, that go back to the early 1960s, uh, when, I'm quoting him now, when Viet Cong terror against the American Goliath kindled the hopes that the Western heartland was vulnerable. I, I won't comment on that, but I'd like you to just, as an exercise, you might try to find a historical analog to that statement somewhere. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, the, 
Uh, the world also, and it's easy, uh, without commenting, if you check through the scholarly literature, you'll find the same story all the time, uh, virtually exceptionless. Uh, the world agreed with the Reaganites, too. In 1985, uh, right after uh, Reagan and Paris had denounced the evil scourge of terrorism, uh, the General Assembly passed a resolution condemning terrorism. And in 1987, uh, it passed a much stronger resolution and a much more explicit one denouncing terrorism in all its forms and calling on all states to do everything they can to fight against the plague and everything you like. Uh, it's true that that wasn't unanimous. Uh, there was one abstention, uh, namely Honduras, and two votes against, uh, the usual two. Uh, they gave their reasons for voting against the major UN resolution on international terrorism. Uh, namely, both states, the United States and Israel, pointed to the same paragraph as the reason for their negative votes. It was a paragraph that said that nothing in the present resolution could in any way prejudice the right to self-determination, freedom, and independence as derived from the United Nations Charter of people forcibly deprived of that right, particularly peoples under colonial and racist regimes and foreign occupation, uh, or could deprive them of the right to obtain support for others in these ends in accord with the Charter of the United Nations. That was the offending paragraph. And it's easy to understand why it raised a serious problem for the United States and Israel. Uh, the uh, African National Congress uh, was identified officially as a terrorist organization in the United States, and South Africa was officially an ally. But the phrase struggle against colonial and racist regimes plainly referred to the struggle of the ANC against the apartheid regime, so that's unacceptable. Uh, the phrase foreign occupation, everyone understood, uh, referred to the uh, Israeli occupation of uh, West Bank and Gaza, then in its 20th year, extremely harsh and brutal from the beginning, uh, uh, continuing only because of decisive uh, U.S. Uh, military, economic, and diplomatic support, which runs up to the present. Uh, so obviously that was unacceptable. Uh, so therefore, the vote was 153 to 2 uh, with uh, one abstention. So it wasn't totally unanimous. Uh, it wasn't reported, uh, and it's disappeared from history. Uh, you can check to find out. Incidentally, that's standard practice. Uh, when the master says something is wrong, it's down the memory hole. You know, it doesn't get reported, and it's forgotten. But it's there. You know, if you want to look, you can discover it. I'll give you the sources if you like. Uh, well, uh, Reagan uh, at that time was, recall, he, he and Paris were talking about the evil scourge of terrorism in the Middle East. Uh, George Shultz didn't entirely agree. Uh, he thought that what he called the most alarming manifestation of state-sponsored terrorism was frighteningly close to home. Uh, namely, uh, it was a cancer in our landmass. Uh, a cancer right nearby that was threatening to conquer the hemisphere uh, with uh, a revolution without borders. Rather in interesting propaganda fabrication, uh, revealed to be a fraud instantly, but always used repeatedly afterwards, uh, even by the same journals who explained why it was total fabrication. It was just too useful to abandon. And there's also an interesting, if, if you think about it, the fabrication had a certain 
element of truth in it, an important element of truth. You could come back to that if you like. Anyhow, this cancer in our landmass was threatening to conquer everything, following openly following Hitler's Mein Kampf, and we plainly had to do something about that. Uh, the, uh, it was a serious, uh, there's a day in the United States called Law Day. Uh, elsewhere in the world, it's called May Day, May 1st, <laughs> a day for uh, su um, support of the struggles of uh, uh, American workers for an eight-hour day. But in the United States, it's a jingoist holiday called May uh, Law Day. And on Law Day 1985, uh, the, uh, President Reagan declared uh, a national emergency because the government of Nicaragua constitutes an unusual and extraordinary threat uh, to the national security and foreign policy of the United States. Uh, that was renewed annually. Uh, George Shultz informed Congress that we must cut the Nicaraguan cancer out and not by gentle means. Things are too serious for that. So to quote Schultz, recall the administration moderate, you know, the good cop. Uh, quote Schultz, uh, he said, negotiations are a euphemism for capitulation if the shadow of power is not cast across the bargaining table. Uh, he condemned those who advocate utopian legalistic means like outside mediation uh, the United Nations, the World Court, while ignoring the power element of the equation. I'll avoid quoting the hardliners. Uh, the, uh, at that time, the United States was exercising the power element of the equation with uh, mercenary forces based in Honduras, attacking Nicaragua. Uh, they were under the supervision of John Negroponte, who was just appointed to run the diplomatic side of the uh, diplomatic component of the current war on terror as a UN ambassador. The military component of the current war on terror is Donald Rumsfeld, who at that time was uh, uh, Ronald Reagan's special envoy to the Middle East, uh, the other place where the plague was raging through 1985, in fact. Uh, the United States at that time was uh, also blocking uh, utopian legalistic means that were being pursued by the world court, uh, the Latin American countries, and others, and it continued to block those means uh, right to the end until the final victory of its terrorist wars throughout Central America. Uh, well, how was the war against state-sponsored terrorism uh, waged in those two regions by the people who, in fact, are leading the new phase. So pretty close historical continuity, not just those two, of course. Uh, well, let's just to illustrate, pick the peak year, the worst year, you know, uh, 1985 uh, in the Middle East, top story of the year. So what were the, uh, how do you, who wins the prize for the worst acts of terrorism in the Middle East in 1985? Well, I know of three candidates. Maybe you can suggest a different one. Uh, one candidate is a car bombing in Beirut in uh, 1985. Uh, the, car, the car bombing was, it was, a car, the, it was placed outside a mosque. Uh, the bomb was timed to go off when people were leaving to make sure you kill the maximum number of people. Uh, it, uh, according to the Washington Post, killed uh, 80 people, uh, uh, wounded over 250 mostly women and girls leaving the mosque, but it was a huge explosion, so it blew up the whole street, killed 
babies and beds and so on and so forth. Uh, the bomb was aimed at a uh, Muslim uh, sheikh who escaped. Uh, it was uh, set off by the CIA uh, in collaboration with British intelligence and uh, Saudi intelligence and uh, specifically authorized by William Casey, according to Bob Woodward's history of Casey and the CIA. So that's a clear-cut example of international terrorism, very unambiguous. Uh, and I think it's one of the candidates for the prize for the peak year of 1985. Uh, another candidate uh, surely would be the uh, so-called Iron Fist operations <coughs> that uh, Shimon Peres' government was carrying out in occupied southern Lebanon in March of 1985. Uh, the uh, operations, this southern Lebanon, which was under military occupation in violation of a uh, Security Council order to leave uh, but with U.S. US authorization, so this is irrelevant. Uh, the, uh, uh, the bombing, the uh, Iron Fist operations were targeting what the high command called terrorist villagers in southern Lebanon. Uh, included many massacres, uh, lots of atrocities, uh, kidnapping of people for interrogation and taking them to Israel and so on. Uh, it uh, reached new depths of calculated brutality and arbitrary murder, uh, according to a Western diplomat familiar with the region who was observing. Uh, there was no pretense of self-defense. Uh, rather, it was openly undertaken for political ends. It was conceded. It wasn't even argued. So that's a clear case of uh, international terrorism, although here we might claim that it, say that it's aggression. I'll call it just international terrorism in line with the principle that we bend over backwards to give the United States the benefit of the doubt. Of course, this is a U.S. operation. You know, Israel does it because they're given arms and aid and diplomatic support by the United States. So we'll call this, we'll decide to call this just international terrorism, not the much more serious war crime of aggression. Uh, the same, incidentally, was true of the much worse uh, 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 operations of 1982 when uh, Israel invaded Lebanon, killed maybe 20,000 or so people. Again, crucial U.S. military and economic and diplomatic support. The U.S. had to veto a couple of Security Council resolutions to keep the slaughter going, uh, provided the arms for it and so on. So it's a U.S.-Israeli invasion, if we're honest. Uh, the goal of the invasion, I'll just quote the New York Times on that, uh, the goal was to install a friendly regime in Lebanon uh, and oust the PLO, which would help persuade Palestinians to accept Israeli rule in the West Bank and Gaza. That's actually accurate, and I have to compliment the New York Times in saying that. That was this January 24th. As far as I know, that's the first time in mainstream U.S. literature that anyone has dared to say what was absolutely common knowledge in Israel and in the dissident literature 20 years ago. I mean, I was writing this in 1983, just using Israeli sources. But it couldn't penetrate U.S. commentary. You might check and see. As far as I know, this is the first breakthrough. I'm not sure the reporter understood what he was saying. Uh, but anyway, he did say it. James Bennett, January 24th. Well, you know, prize for James Bennett for telling the truth after 20 years. And it's true. And, uh, of course, it's a textbook illustration, virtually textbook illustration of international terrorism. Now, this time we have to bend over backwards pretty far to call it international terrorism uh, because you know, it's hard to 
say why this isn't uh, overt aggression, uh, the kind of action for which U.S. and Israeli leaders should be subjected to Nuremberg trials, a uh, real serious war crime. But again, let's keep to the guidelines and say it's only international terrorism. Uh, well, that's the second example. Uh, this, this 85, I'll keep to the uh, Iron Fist operations. Uh, third, the only th other example for 1985 that I know of uh, took place a few days before uh, Shimon Peres arrived in Washington to join Reagan in denouncing the evil scourge of terrorism. Uh, shortly before that, uh, Peres sent the Israeli Air Force to bomb Tunis, uh, killing 75 people, civilians, uh, it, with torn to shreds with smart bombs. It was all rather uh, accurately and graphically depicted by a highly respected Israeli reporter, Amnon Kapeliuk, in the Hebrew press in Israel, uh, and uh, corroborated by other sources. So uh, the United States cooperated with that by uh, withdrawing the Sixth Fleet so they didn't have to inform uh, their ally, Tunisia, that uh, the bombers were on their way, uh, presumably getting refueled on the way. Uh, so that's uh, a third candidate. I, I don't know of any other candidates for, that even come close to uh, being candidates for, uh, uh, incidentally, George Schultz, uh, the moderate, immediately after the bombing, he telephoned the Israeli foreign minister to say that the United States had considerable sympathy for this operation, uh, but he backed away from open support for massive international terrorism or maybe aggression uh, when the Security Council uh, unanimously uh, condemned uh, the attack as an act of armed aggression. Uh, United States abstaining. I uh, didn't want to vote against that. Uh, so uh, those are the three cases of uh, top three cases that win the prize for 1985, to my knowledge. And again, I'll assume that uh, these are just international terrorism, so we're not calling for a Nuremberg trial. Uh, just more international terrorism by depraved opponents of civilization itself. Uh, and examples which are pretty hard to miss, remember, because this was the peak story of the year, international terrorism in the Middle East. Here's three perfect examples. In fact, the only three major examples that I know of. Uh, however, they aren't candidates. In fact, they're not even in the running. Uh, they're not competitors. Uh, the examples that are in the running uh, are, for example, cited in uh, the current history issue to which I referred, which does discuss 1985 and gives two examples of the evil scourge of terrorism. Uh, namely, the hijacking of uh, TWA 897, killing an American, one American Navy diver, uh, and the hijacking of the Achille Loro, the boat uh, killing, which led to the killing of uh, Leon uh, Klinghoffer, a crippled American, both surely terrorist atrocities. Uh, those are the two examples that are in the running for, that are memorable, you know, that count for international terrorism. Well. The hijackers of the TWA plane uh, claimed, correctly in fact, uh, that Israel was regularly uh, hijacking uh, ships in international waters in transit between Lebanon and Cyprus, uh, killing people, uh, kidnapping others, taking them to Israel uh, either for interrogation or simply as hostages, uh, keeping them in jail for years. In fact, some people are still in jail uh, without charges. Uh, many years, uh, but that's all correct. Their charges are correct, but that doesn't justify the hijacking uh, <coughs> on the assumption, which 
uh, I accept at least, uh, that uh, uh, violence is not legitimate uh, in retaliation against even worse atrocities or as preemption against future atrocities. Violence is not legitimate in such cases, so we can dismiss those claims, though they're in fact correct. Uh, and incidentally, the U.S.-Israeli hijackings, and remember, if Israel does it, we're doing it. Uh, those hijackings are also out of the historical record. I mean, occasionally you'll find a reference to them in a, you know, the bottom of a column on something or other, but they're not part of the history of terrorism. Uh, the uh, hijackers of the Achille Laro uh, claimed that this was retaliation for the bombing of Tunis a couple days earlier. Uh, well, we dismiss that with contempt on the same principle, uh, namely violence is not justified uh, in uh, retaliation or preemption. Uh, and uh, assuming that we can rise uh, to the level of, uh, to the minimal moral level that I mentioned earlier, if we're not confirmed hypocrites, in other words, uh, then some consequences follow about other acts of retaliation and preemption, but that's too obvious to talk about, so I'll just leave it to you to think about. Uh, well, that's uh, 1985, the peak year of international terrorism in the Middle East. Uh, it's, uh, it's a research project. You might see if I left out anything that is a competitor for the prize. I'm not aware of it. Uh, and none are mentioned in the literature on terrorism. Uh, well, uh, notice that, as I said at the beginning, you don't really have to work very hard to see these things. You have to work very hard not to see them. It takes a really good education to miss this. Uh, it's, uh, uh, think about it and see. Uh, 1985 was, of course, not the first or the last uh, act of international terrorism in the Middle East. There are many others, some of them quite important. Uh, for example, in 1975, uh, uh, Israel, meaning Israeli pilots with U.S. planes and U.S. support, uh, in December 1975, they bombed the village in Lebanon, uh, killing over 50 people. Uh, no pretext was offered, but everybody knew what the reason was. Uh, at that time, the U.N. Security Council was meeting to consider uh, a resolution which uh, was supported by the entire world uh, with marginal exceptions, only one crucial exception, the United States, which vetoed the resolution, uh, calling for uh, uh, a, a diplomatic settlement of the Israel-Palestine conflict, incorporating UN 242 and all of its wording, you know, the main resolution, uh, security and you know, territorial integrity and all those nice things uh, on the internationally recognized border. Uh, the uh, offending part of this one was that it uh, also referred to Palestinian national rights, uh, and that's uh, not acceptable to the United States. It rejected them then, it rejects them now, contrary to a lot of nonsense that you read. Uh, the U.S. vetoed the resolution uh, that terminated, didn't terminate, and this continued, another, still going on, in fact, year after year of efforts at diplomatic settlement, which uh, the U.S. has unilaterally blocked. Uh, Israel doesn't have a veto at the Security Council, so they reacted to the debate by bombing Lebanon and killing 50 people without a pretext. Now, that's not in the annals of international terrorism either. Uh, there are more re many more recent cases, including uh, the two invasions uh, of uh, Yitzhak Rabin and Shimon Peres in 1993 and 1996, uh, U.S. supported in, in Lebanon. 
a U.S. ported both of them, you know, lots of deaths, uh, hundreds of thousands of people were driven out, and so on. Uh, Clinton uh, had to back off his support for the 1996 invasion after the Kana massacre, over 100 people in a U.N. refugee camp. At that point, he said, can't handle this anymore, he better leave. Uh, there was no pretext of self-defense in this case. This is just outright international terrorism or maybe aggression. Uh, and it continues. So let's go up to uh, the current uh, intifada, which broke out on September 30th of the year 2000. In the first couple of days, uh, there was no fire from Palestinians. It was stone throwing. Uh, but Israel was, in fact, uh, using Israeli uh, U.S. attack helicopters to uh, attack civilian complexes, apartment complexes, and so on, uh, killing and wounding dozens of people in the first few days. Uh, the Clinton administration responded to this uh, by, um, well, borrow our president's phrase, by enhancing terror. Recall he Bush condemned the Palestinians for enhancing terror last month, uh, so I'll use his phrase in line with the guidelines. Uh, the Clinton administration committed itself to enhancing terror by making, on October 3rd, by making the uh, a deal for the biggest shipment in a decade of attack of military helicopters to Israel, and along with uh, spare parts for the Apache attack helicopters that had been sent a couple of weeks earlier. That's enhancing terror in the days right after uh, these helicopters were being used to uh, murder and wound civilians, attacking apartment complexes and so on. Uh, the press cooperated by uh, refusing to report this. Uh, note, not failing to report it, refusing to report it. It was specifically brought to the attention of editors, and they simply made it clear they're not going to report it. There's no question about the facts, incidentally. But to this day, it hasn't been reported, except in the margins. Uh, that policy continues. Uh, go skip to December two th 2001, last month, uh, two months ago. Uh, uh, George Bush was condemning the Palestinians for enhancing terror. And he contributed in the conventional way to enhancing terror, uh, in crucial ways, in fact. Uh, on December 15th, the UN Security Council uh, debated a uh, European-initiated resolution uh, calling on both sides to reduce violence uh, and calling for the introduction of international monitors uh, to assist in monitoring a reduction of violence. That's a very important step. Uh, that was vetoed by the United States, went to the who want to enhance violence, evidently. It's hard to think of any other uh, interpretation for this. Uh, the press didn't have to bother giving an interpretation because it was barely reported. Uh, it then uh, went to the General Assembly, where as far as I'm aware it wasn't reported at all, and there was an overwhelming vote supporting the same resolution. Uh, this time, the United States and Israel were not entirely isolated in opposition. Uh, several uh, Pacific islands joined in, uh, Nauru and one or two others. Uh, so therefore, you know, not the usual splendid isolation. Uh, I don't think, I don't recall that that was reported. Uh, a couple of, about a week before, 10 days before that, uh, the, there was another major contribution to enhancing terror. Uh, the uh, the Fourth Geneva Conventions, uh, according to the entire world, literally, outside of Israel, uh, apply to the occupied territories. The United States refuses, doesn't vote against this. When it comes up in the United Nations, it abstains. 
I presume the reason is the United States does not want to take such an open, blatant stand in violation of fundamental principles of international law, particularly because of the circumstances under which they were enacted. Recall that the Geneva Conventions were established in order to, right after the Second World War, in order to criminalize the acts of the Nazis. So saying they don't apply is a pretty strong statement. Uh, however, outside of the United States and Israel, the whole world agrees the International Red Cross, which is the agency uh, responsible for applying and interpreting them, agrees. In fact, there's no, as far as I'm aware, no further question about this. Uh, Switzerland, which is the responsible state, called a meeting of the high contracting parties uh, for the Geneva Conventions, that is, those like the United States that are legally obligated by treaty to enforce them. It's a high, solemn commitment. Uh, called a meeting on December 5th in, in Geneva, uh, and the meeting took place, uh, passed a strong resolution uh, saying, de determining that the Geneva Conventions do apply to the occupied territories, which makes illegal just about everything that the United States and Israel do there. They went through the list, uh, settlements, uh, displacement, uh, everything that goes on. Uh, the United States boycotted the session. Uh, they got another country to boycott them, Australia. Uh, according to the Australian press, under heavy U.S. pressure, Australia joined in boycotting them. If the U.S. boycotts it, it's like a negative vote at the Security Council or the General Assembly. Didn't get reported, and it's out of history. Okay, but that's another important step to enhancing terror. Uh, all of this took place, incidentally, in the midst of a 21-day truce, one-sided truce. Uh, uh, Palestinians weren't carrying out any acts, but uh, a couple of dozen Palestinians were killed, including a dozen children. Uh, that was right. It was right in the middle of this that uh, these efforts to enhance terror uh, took place. Maybe that's an unfair interpretation, and there's some other motive that I'm not thinking of, uh, but that's what they look like to me. You can think about that. Uh, in any event, uh, international terrorism in the Middle East certainly continues, uh, has a long history. And if you look over the record, of course, it's mixed and complicated, but I think you'll find that the balance uh, is pretty much uh, along the lines that I described. In fact, the balance reflects the means of violence available as it usually does uh, if you look around the terror. In fact, that's why uh, in the whole range of terror, uh, state terror is far worse than individual terror uh, for the obvious reason that states have means of violence that uh, individuals don't have or groups. And that's what you find if you look, I think, overwhelmingly. It's commonly said that terrorism is a weapon of the weak. That's completely false. Uh, at least if you accept the official U.S. definition of terror. If you do that, then terror is overwhelmingly the weapon of the strong, like most other weapons. Uh, well, that's uh, history, but uh, all of this stuff is out of history. Uh, it's, uh, history is what is created by well-educated intellectuals, and it doesn't have to have any resemblance to that thing called history by naive people. Uh, and I think if you check this, you'll find that that's true. Well, that's the Middle East. Uh, let's turn to Central America, the other main focus of the uh, plague by depraved opponents of civilization itself. Here I can be, I'll be brief, because what 
at least the core parts are just uncontroversial, uh, in, uh, at least uncontroversial among people who have minimal regard for international law and uh, uh, international institutions and so on. Actually, the size of that category is very easily estimated. Uh, namely, uh, ask yourself how often, what I'm now going to say, uh, has appeared in the discussions about the uh, evil plague of terrorism in the past uh, five months, huge flood, how much has been devoted to some uncontroversial cases. Again, uncontroversial if you think uh, the World Court and the Security Council and international law have some significance. Uh, well, in 1986, the uh, International Court of Justice condemned the United States for international terrorism, unlawful use of force, and its uh, war against Nicaragua. Again, I'm going to keep to the guidelines, bend over backwards, allow this to be interpreted just as international terrorism, not the war crime of aggression. So we'll call it international terrorism. Uh, the uh, court uh, ordered the United States to terminate the crimes and to pay substantial reparations, presumably billions of dollars. Uh, Congress reacted by instantly escalating the war by new funding to escalate the war. Uh, the uh, Nicaragua took the matter to the Security Council, which debated a resolution calling on all states to observe international law, uh, mentioning no one, but everyone knew who was meant. Uh, the U.S. vetoed it. Uh, Nicaragua then went to the General Assembly which passed similar resolutions in successive years. Uh, United States and Israel opposed. Uh, in one year, they got El Salvador. Uh, all of this is out of history. It has to be. You know, just inconsistent with our preferred image of uh, what history is supposed to be. And uh, as I say, you, you can uh, check how much this has been. Th these are uncontroversial cases. You can check to see how much it's been referred to recently. And remember uh, who were the individuals responsible, people like Negroponte, Proconsul of Honduras, uh, Rumsfeld, Special Envoy to the Middle East, and so on, and others. Plenty of continuity. Well, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, um, the U.S. reacted, as I said, by escalating the war, and also for the first time giving official orders to its mercenary forces uh, to attack what are called soft targets. That's what the Southern, South, Southern Command called them, soft targets, meaning undefended civilian targets, you know, agricultural cooperatives, and so on. Uh, that was known. It was discussed in the United States. Uh, it was considered legitimate by the left. Uh, so Michael Kinsley, who represents the left in uh, um, you know, mainstream debate, he had an interesting article. He was then editor of the New Republic, uh, in which he said that we shouldn't be too quick to condemn uh, State Department authorization for attacks on uh, undefended civilian targets uh, because uh, uh, we have to apply pragmatic criteria. We have to carry out cost-benefit analysis uh, and see whether, as he put it, the amount of blood poured in is compensated by a good outcome, namely democracy, what we will determine to be democracy. And what that means you could see by looking at the states next door, like El Salvador and Guatemala, which were okay democracies. And if it passes our test, then it's okay. Uh, so in other words, international terrorism is fine, assuming it meets pragmatic criteria. And now across the spectrum, you know, left or right, uh, among we, that is, educated, privileged intellectuals, not the population, of course. Uh, the uh, um, in Nicaragua, the, uh, uh, the population had an army to defend it. 
uh, it was bad enough. I mean, tens of thousands of people killed the country, practically devastated, may never recover. But it had an army to defend it. In El Salvador and Guatemala, that wasn't true. The army was the state terrorists, the U.S.-supported state terrorists. They were the army. There was nobody to defend the population. Uh, and in fact, the atrocities were far worse. Uh, also, they're not a state, so they couldn't go to the uh, World Court and the Security Council to follow legal means, of course, without any effect, because we, people like us, have determined that the world is going to be ruled by force, not by law. And since we have the power, as long as we determine that, uh, a state that tries to follow uh, the legitimate means of responding to international terrorism doesn't have a, has nothing to do. But that's our choice, you know, nobody else's choice. Can't blame anyone else on that, for that. Uh, the, uh, uh, in order to carry out, there, there was, however, enough popular resistance, not elite resistance, but popular resistance to the uh, atrocities there that uh, the U.S. had to resort to, a clend uh, uh, to an international terrorist network, an extraordinary international terrorist network. Remember, the U.S. is a powerful state. It's not like Libya. You know, Libya wants to carry out terrorist acts. They hire, you know, Carlos the Jackal or something. Uh, the United States hires terrorist states. We're, we're big guys. Uh, so the terrorist network uh, consisted of uh, Taiwan, uh, Britain, uh, Israel, uh, Argentina, at least as long as it was under the rule of the neo-Nazi generals when they were unfortunately removed uh, they fell out of the system, Saudi Arabian funding. Uh, quite a, a, a substantial international terrorist network, never been anything like it. Uh, in contemporary terms, we might call it an axis of evil, I suppose. Uh, the uh, uh, outcome, again, keeping to the guidelines, we believe our leaders, uh, the result was uh, hundreds of thousands of people slaughtered, uh, millions of orphans and refugees, every conceivable atrocity. Uh, the region devastated. Uh, the single uncontroversial case, Nicaragua, which was the least of them, uh, that alone far surpasses the crimes of September 11th, and the others suffered far worse. Uh, this is, uh, again, we're bending over backwards and giving the U.S. the benefit of the doubt, so we're only calling it uh, international terrorism organized by depraved opponents of civilization itself. Well, that's the second major area, Central America. Uh, all of this, however, is off the record, too, uh, in the current history journal, and it's typical in this respect. None of, nothing that I just have referred to is mentioned, nor is it in the whole scholarly literature, in fact, except way at the margins. You can check and see. It just doesn't count. Uh, the 80s are described as the era of state-sponsored international terrorism, but they're not referring to any of these things. Uh, the U.S. was trying to prevent state-sponsored international terrorism by taking proactive means, like the most massive uh, uh, international terrorist network that's ever been uh, uh, known. That's very typical of the scholarly literature, uh, journalism. Uh, uh, and again, you can do a check. Uh, there's barely been a word about any of this, uh, as the second phase of the war on terror has been Reading declared once again re, uh, with pretty much the same people and uh, uh, every reason to expect similar outcomes. Well, uh, let's continue. Uh, from all of this, an obvious conclusion follows. Uh, 
there is an operational definition of terrorism, the one that's actually used. Uh, it means terror that they carry out against us. That's terrorism. Uh, nothing else passes through the filter. Uh, furthermore, that's, uh, as far as I know, that's a historical universal. Uh, I can't find an exception to that. You might try. Uh, so, for example, the Japanese in China and Manchuria were defending the population against uh, Chinese terrorists and going to create an earthly paradise uh, uh, for them if they could control the terrorists. Uh, the Nazis in occupied Europe uh, were defending the legitimate governments like Vichy uh, and the population from the terrorist partisans who were supported from abroad, as indeed they were. They were run from London and Poland and France and so on. Uh, the uh, in fact, as I say, I, I can't find an exception. You might try. Uh, also, as far as I'm aware, this is virtually universal among intellectuals, educated folks like us. Uh, apart from statistical error, uh, this is the line that they take. Now, it doesn't look that way in history, but you have to remember who writes history. You know, that ought to leave you with a little bit of skepticism. If you look at actual history, not the one that's written, I think you'll find that this is the case. And I could even maybe suggest it as a research topic to some uh, enterprising graduate student who aspires to a career as a taxi driver. <laughs> the, uh, well, uh, just to continue to the present, uh, let's just take the last couple of months. Uh, September 11th was a perfectly clear example of international terrorism. No controversy about that, so we don't have to waste time on it. Uh, what about the reaction? Well, it turns out the reaction is also an uncontroversial case of international terrorism. Uh, again, let's keep to the guidelines. We'll just listen to what our leaders say. Uh, so on October 11th, President Bush announced uh, that the Afghan, that to the Afghan people that uh, we will can keep bombing you until you hand over people who we suspect of uh, terrorist acts although we refuse to provide any evidence and we refuse to enter into negotiations for uh, extradition and transfer. Uh, clear case of international terrorism. Uh, on uh, October 28th, uh, Admiral, his, the British counterpart, Admiral Sir Michael Boyce, who's the chief of the British Defense Staff, uh, took it a step for, uh, further uh, three weeks after, you have to remember, the, uh, getting rid of the Taliban regime was not a war aim. That was an afterthought. And three weeks after the bombing began, that was added, presumably so that intellectuals would have something to feel good about or something, I don't know. Anyway, three weeks after the bombing, that was added as a new war aim. And uh, uh, Admiral Boyce uh, announced to the Afghan people accordingly, I think this is the first mention of this war aim, uh, that uh, we will continue bombing you until you change your leadership. Okay. Uh, first, the, that was all very prominent, like page one of the New York Times in both cases. Two, uh, both cases are textbook illustrations of international terrorism, if not aggression, but we're still bending over backwards. Uh, and it's all off the record by the usual convention. Uh, we're doing it so it doesn't count. Uh, it's only when they carry out what we officially define as terrorism, that it counts. Well, uh, it's easy to go on, but let me just return to the weak thesis. Uh, there can't be a war against terrorism, at least against as terrorism is defined in, in 
official U.S. documents. It's a logical impossibility. Uh, these, this is a small sample of illustrations. You can go on easily. Uh, but it's enough to show that that can't be true. That's the weak thesis. What about the strong thesis, that it's all so entirely obvious that it ought to even be embarrassing to talk about it, uh, because it's all right on the surface. Nothing hidden about any of this. Everything I mentioned is perfectly well known. You, know, you don't have to penetrate anything to discover it. No obscure sources, uh, nothing, just the obvious evidence. And it's very easily, uh, you can easily add to it. There's a ton of literature about it for the last 20 years. But that's all off the, that literature also can't be discussed because it comes out with the wrong conclusion. Uh, so uh, it's treated the same way terrorism is in our intellectual culture. Again, a choice, not a necessity. So we end up with kind of a dilemma. Uh, if, we're on, if we're not honest, forget it. If we are honest, there's a dilemma. Uh, one possibility is just to acknowledge uh, that we are total hypocrites, uh, that we don't, and then to at least have the decency uh, to stop talking about things like human rights and right and wrong and good and evil and so on, and just say, yeah, we're hypocrites. Uh, we, wanna, we, we have force, and we're going to rule the world by force, period. Let's forget about everything else. Uh, the other option is uh, harder to pursue, uh, but it's uh, imperative, uh, unless uh, we would like to uh, contribute to still worse disasters that are likely to lie ahead. Oh,